welcome to my podcast. You are actually our first ever guest. So this is very exciting. Oh, so you've been doing it solo all this time. Yeah, it's it's me um, in like a cupboard under the stairs at my house. <laughs> well, that's great. You're doing a good service. Thank you. Okay. Um, do you want to introduce yourself and sure. tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Liza Gennaro, and I am the daughter of Peter Gennaro, choreographer Peter Gennaro, who had an extensive career on Broadway television and a little bit in the movies. Um, and I started my career as a dancer um, and then moved into choreography and into academia. And I now run the uh, musical theater program at Manhattan School of Music. And I am also a theater, a musical theater writer. And I have a book coming out in November called Making Broadway Dance, which is an analytical look at musical theater dance that has really not had anyone look at it in that way, drawing on dance studies and um, dramaturgy and different forms of analysis. I'm uh, looking at it in a very specific, new and fresh way, which I'm hoping will dispel some of the misgivings over the years of what musical theater is and that it is disposable, which of course I feel it is not. Well, I clearly don't think musical theater is disposable or I wouldn't do what I do. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's really cool. Um, the, the jump from choreography to academia sounds fascinating. Um, how did that happen? Um, I was I was doing a lot of work in you know choreographing and I had a child and it became and I was always kind of doing both I was always teaching and at the same time choreographing so when I had a child and I wanted to be able to be around more I decided let me start to you know move into musical theater choreography education <laughs> and I had a couple of great opportunities. I started at Hofstra University and then ended up at being at Princeton and a little bit at Yale and at Barnard College and people were interested I think in the courses that I offered because I do take this specific um, deep dive into musical theater and really looking at it um, as a separate expressive art form within the umbrella of dance yeah so um, so and then I started writing a bit I I had gone to school very late because I performed as a child so I went through high school and just kept performing and then when I got a bit older I really didn't start chipping away at my degree until I was in my 30s and then moved through and got my master's and um, got involved with some great musical theater writers, Stacey Wolf and Ray Knapp and Liz Wollman, and they have a group called Musical Theater Forum, which I became part of. Um, Joanna D. Das is also part of that. Uh, she wrote a wonderful book on Catherine Dunham. So I got involved with all these people, and they were very, very encouraging about my writing. So I just started doing more of it. That's, that's really, that's really, really cool. That's, that's just so awesome. <laughs> It's been a good journey. Yeah, I I definitely love um, 
I love the like second career that people have after um, they become mothers. Like my mom, this is so off topic, but my mom was a stay at home mom for 14 years. Um, there's four of us. And then when my youngest sister went to school, my dad was like, why don't you do the art degree that you want? And my mom's like, oh, no, I won't do it. Dad's like, just go do it. Um, and so my mom yesterday got her letter saying that her master's had been submitted and now she teaches at a uni. And it's so cool because she's doing this, like, career that she would have never planned to do um, after being in a house with lots of children. <laughs> Where exactly are you located? I'm in Sydney. You are I'm in Sydney. Sydney, which explains the weird voice I have, which is like Australian, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> I know it's very early in the morning for you. So I yeah, yeah, I've got coffee with me. So <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, I appreciate you meeting me when it was inconvenient, maybe for you, but convenient for me. <laughs> I figure if I'm the person asking, I have to be the person to do the, the time zone working out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm really curious as to how your dad got his start in musical theatre and what, what did he do that led him to working on West Side Story? Mm-hmm. Well, he had a really interesting journey also, um, far more interesting than mine. He was the child of Sicilian immigrants, and they located in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. So from babyhood, he was exposed to um, jazz, jazz dance, as well as jazz music. And he danced from really childhood. His mother used to take him when he was three years old, put him in talent competitions, and he would always win. And then as he grew up, he started taking some dance. Now this is, he's born in 1919. So we're talking about the 1920s, a very long time ago. And he continued to train, had to tap, acrobatics, uh, sort of self-trained, marched and danced with the jazz funerals, had a lot of exposure to black jazz dance. And he uh, eventually, they owned a bar. He worked at the bar. They had a bit of a um, dance floor for him so he could dance and perform. He also performed a bit in the French Quarter. And then he got um, volunteered to be in World War II, was that was the timing. And he volunteered for overseas um, duty and ended up in India. And he ended up in a theatrical troupe that toured India, put up stages everywhere, and did performances. And he worked with a bunch of people. I don't know if Melvin Douglas is a name you would know, but he became a well-known actor, um, was the captain of the troupe. And uh, he had this really interesting experience with some dancers from Ballet Russe were part of the troupe and all these different people. Came back to the States after the war and on the GI Bill, went to the American Theater Wing, which was associated with the Catherine Dunham School. And he studied at the Catherine Dunham School. Um, and that was a very rich experience of all sorts of dance. She was doing her work of the African diaspora, but there was also 
modern dance and ballet, a brilliant teacher that so many of the artists of the 19, you know, musical theater artists, dancers of the 1960s talk about Sevilla Fort, was a wonderful um, educator, dance educator. And even while he was there, he taught Boogie, just simply called Boogie, which I guess was some kind of, you know, Lindy, Hop, something. Um, and he was also a member of the Dun Dunham's Experimental Company, and they would do performances at benefits and different fun fundraising events. And then from there, well, he met my mother, and he my mother was a ballet dancer, and she got him involved in ballet, so he continued to work on his technique and developing, um, a, you know, a, a strong technique. And then they went back to New Orleans. My mother hated it. They came back to New York. <laughs> And he started doing shows. And he was in the original company of Guys and Dolls. He was in the original company of Pajama Game. He was one of the original three steam heat dancers with Carol Haney and Buzz Miller. He was in the original Bells Are Ringing. He um, played the role of Carl, who performed the muchacha with, um, um, I, I'm losing her name, Billie Holiday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, in those experiences, and he was also actually a replacement in Kiss Me Kate, he did a lot of work on Broadway in tours. And through those experiences, he met Jerome Robbins. And Robbins was the, I believe, the assistant director on Pajama Game and was also there for the very new young Bob Fosse, who was you know, about just starting his stage career as a choreographer. Um, to help Bob Fosse in the event he got into trouble. And um, from that show, then my father did uh, Bells Are Ringing, which Jerome Robbins directed and Bob Fosse choreographed. So he had a history with him and West Side Story came about. My father during that period was also beginning to choreograph on his own. And Robbins did not want to reach a point on the process of getting West Side Story produced, he reached a point where he decided he didn't want to, he didn't want to choreograph it. It was too much to direct and choreograph. He had done the same thing on, I think it was Bells Are Ringing, where he wrote the producer and said, I'm not, I'm not choreographing. <laughs> and, um, too much, can't do it. Too much for him. And I mean, it is too much, he's correct. Um, it's a lot, of, it, the show's a lot. Yeah, any show to direct and choreograph, it's really, takes an enormous amount of strength, tenacity, and talent. Um, but he, he, Halprin said to him, no, you have to choreograph it. I'm not producing unless you choreograph it. And so he said, okay, well then I need a team of assistants. So he started collecting his assistants and he went to my father, who, as I said, he'd had this relation, professional relationship with, and he said, you know, would you um, work as an assistant on the show with me? And my father said, well, I'm not interested in assisting, but I'd co-choreograph it. And he said, okay. <laughs> and my father, and at that point, Robbins went to his very brilliant attorney, Floria Lasky, and they made a contract, which basically my father signed and basically gave all of his choreography to Jerome Robbins. So that's the reason that my father was really erased from the history 
of West Side Story for many, many years. Um, and because of the fear of Jerome Robbins, <laughs> even people like Cheetah Rivera um, <laughs> and the rest of the cast, they didn't say anything. You know, they They're like, Peter who? I don't know any Peters. <laughs> but then years later, after Robbins' passing, um, they did they did start to come forward and now you know it's it's getting more known and known and people but people remain surprised and like really <laughs> and it's a it's a funny business it it has been really interesting reading about jerome robbins because i i didn't know that he was that person when i went into it i was like oh i love jerome robbins choreography i love like interplay and the concert and all of that stuff. And then I read it and I'm like, oh, I'm really glad that whenever I learn Jerome Robbins choreography, I learn it from other people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I think I realized I've learned two pieces of choreography from West Side Story before. And there's a chance that they're actually both your dad. Mm -hmm. So I've learned a little bit of America and a little bit of Dance at the Gym. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did all the shark material. And then he also, there's a wonderful set of photographs that Martha Swope did um, of rehearsals. And they're interesting because you can really see Peter is throughout the photos. So in rehearse, they're clearly working on the prologue and you see him working on the prologue. You see him during the Mambo um, section of Dance at the Gym. Um, so he was very involved, and in some of my research, uh, I did come across, and it was some kind of a symposium that was an audio recording, and Robbins in that recording does actually say, I just want to thank Peter Gennaro for all of his help on the show, um, and it's a very nice quote. Um, it's about the only time in any kind of writing or any kind of audio that he actually did acknowledge it. Yeah, I guess except for that contract. <laughs> yeah, the contract. I mean, my father was young. He was starting his career. He had a family. He needed a job. So he signed a contract that, you know, really did give it give it to Robbins. Yeah. Yeah, the Deborah Jowett book on Robbins uh, prints a portion of the contract. Anybody could look at it. It's it's pretty startling. <laughs> I do, it has been really interesting um, researching musicals of that era, how many contracts didn't include royalties. Uh-huh. Like I, I spoke about Oklahoma last season and seeing Agnes DeMille's contract, it was like, you get this money and you get this money for rehearsals and that's, that's all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no back then, I mean, in 43 with Oklahoma and DeMille, I mean, DeMille was one of the people who fought hard um, for rights of choreographers and directors. And actually there is a, my union, stage director and choreographer union, which I'm actually an elected member to the executive board, um, that was started by Agnes DeMille, Bob Fosse, and some other people. And, and it's, uh, you know, they, they represent and, um, create contracts for the entire, you know, musical theater and theater as well. Yeah. Directors, directors and choreographers. It, 
it's insane to me how one person can make such a huge difference. Yeah. Um, well, she was a force to be reckoned with. To me. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was very brilliant in many, many ways and um, outspoken and fearless. Yeah. I would agree with all of those. <laughs> There's lots of great books about her. And lots of great books by her. Yes. <laughs> That's one of the first things I'm like, oh, she wrote 308 books. Fantastic. She didn't actually write 308, but feels like she it. Wrote a lot. <laughs> it was like one every three days, something like that. Yeah, she wrote a lot of books. So then what was, you were talking about your dad being involved kind of in every part of West Side Story. What, do you have any stories from rehearsals or do you, do you know what that was like for him? Well, a little bit. Um, there have been a lot of stories about America uh, because it's whenever anyone does anything on West Side Story, the first thing that comes up is a clip of America. Oh, um, it's so iconic. And they'll say, literally say, Jerome Robbins choreography, and then they show America. <laughs> so it's put air quotes around Jerome Robbins. Jerome Robbins choreography. <laughs> So it's frustrating, but um, the way some tell the story that he, that Peter was given the number, he was doing all the shark material, and I think that's because Robbins was not that familiar with that kind of dancing and with dances of the African diaspora, and Peter was, and so he could bring. I mean, the brilliance part of the brilliance of that show is that it's not it's these two gangs. But then in their physical expression, they're so different because it's yeah. two separate choreographers. So, you know, he always had a method and a reason for what he did, and he was smart. Um, but when Peter was sent away to do the number, and when he came back, he had done the number with men and women, a, a version with men and women, which is, I believe, the version they used in the movie, although yeah. they did not. Yeah, the movies. Father. Yeah, my father did not work on the film but it's his choreography. Yeah. So, um, that, but he, did, he didn't have to work on it because Robin's owned it at that point. So when he came back, there are varying stories from Arthur Lawrence and Stephen Sondheim, and they said that Robin's gave some notes and worked on the number and that that's when the number really came together, which I would imagine probably was at least partially true. But there's another version of the story that he then, that he said, it shouldn't have men in it. Go away and do a version with just the women. So my father told the story that he was sent to the theater because they rehearsed in a rehearsal studio, but they also had access to the theater. He was sent to the theater and told to do a number with the girls. And they did the number and they came back and they showed it to the company and Robbins and everybody sitting around. And at the end of it, the room just exploded. Everybody just loved the number so much and they were screaming and carrying on and Robbins came over to my father and said, you know, I have a couple of notes I could tell you. Know, and, and my father said to him, with a reaction like that, I think we should leave it alone. <laughs> so, you know, where's the truth of the story? Who knows? I imagine it's a combination of all of the above. But, um, I think it's interesting about, I mean, there are a few really interesting things about Robbins. One is that he was chameleon in his choreography. Um, 
Whereas DeMille and Fossey and some others, Michael Kidd a little bit, they kind of did one thing and they did it over and over again in their shows. Robbins could do anything. And part of the reason he could do everything because he often had a lot of help. Um, he had Mara von Selheim on King and I, who was expert scholar in Thai dancing. He brought vaudevillians into um, um, high button shoes to work on a soft shoe. He always hired help and usually did not credit them. I have but uh, also, <laughs> yeah, but he was also a sponge, I think, because yeah. he could see dance and he could understand the essence of a dance. I have a feeling very quickly because there wasn't the kind of video then or YouTube no. access. So if he was going to concerts, which I'm certain he was, he probably wasn't seeing things repeatedly, repeatedly the way we see them now. So when you think about somebody like Anna Sokolow, who created the dance Rooms, if you watch Rooms, there is so much West Side Story taken from Rooms in Robin's uh, Jets choreography. The, the linkages throughout his entire body of musical theater choreography always can tie back to somebody. I believe that on West Side Story, he was at his most original in the musical theater with the dances he created for the Jets. However, they do remind me of Anna Sokolow's work. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's one really interesting aspect of him. And I think it's interesting to think that he felt that he felt somehow comfortable enough with Peter that he felt he could take him on as a co-choreographer and give him the credit. Yeah. There's a piece of that that I don't fully understand from my knowledge of Robbins, that he would allow that, but somehow or other, I think he liked Peter basically. But Peter, like other people that Robbins liked, Robbins was a bully very typical bully. And the people he liked were the people who stood up to him and people who would push back when he would attack. And Peter did tell one story. They were in rehearsals. Um, they were about to go to Washington, out of town in Washington. And Robbins pulled all his dance assistants together and Peter and let them have it. Told them they had to snap to in Washington. He needed them to be there on and on, demands, 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 yelling, carrying on. And at the end of the whole thing, the room cleared and Peter went up to Jerry and he said, Jerry, that talk you just gave, you didn't mean me, right? <laughs> and Jerry said, oh no, Peter, not you. Of course. So, <laughs> so I think that somehow or other, my father found a way to manage him um, that was non-aggressive to Robbins and that he could kind of accept. So, you know, so many things, it depends in musical theaters, you know, it's essentially collaborative. So having the ability to um, create collaborations that you can work with, and you know, some collaborators love to yell and scream at each other and others don't. And, you know, they seem to be able to make it work. And Robin certainly seemed to be able to collaborate 
as difficult as he was, he did have the ability to collaborate or else those shows could never have gotten done. And he wouldn't have worked over and over and over again with all the same people. Mm -hmm. Like Leonard Bernstein, they had done a bunch of stuff together before West Side Story and you wouldn't bring someone on to be like, hey, write this massive show with me if you're like, I can't stand working with them. Yeah, yeah, no, they they put up with him because he was so good. Arthur Lawrence always said that... um, Leonard Bernstein was afraid of two things, Jerry Robbins and God. (laughs) If you're Leonard Bernstein, I can understand how you're in that situation. (laughs) And then um, after West Side Story, what, what happened? What did your dad do? So he continued to choreograph. Um, He, very quickly after West Side Story, when they were in, I guess on, they were in New York by then, or maybe they were still in Washington, and George Abbott, famous theater director George Abbott, came down to see the show. And he was a mentor of Robbins. Yeah. Also. And um, George Abbott, they were, he was coming down the aisle, and Robbins was standing with Peter, and George Abbott said to, to Robbins, Oh my God, the show is fantastic, so great. And that America number, that America number is just the best. It's just the best thing in the show. And Robbins said, well, this is the young man who choreographed it. So he was generous in that moment. And because of that, my father was offered Fiorello, uh, which he choreographed and which won the Pulitzer Prize, a brilliant show. Um, And then kind of just continued working he also did, um, well, he choreographed Annie, which he won the um, Tony for. Um, but The Unsinkable Molly Brown, which he also did the film. And then he was also continued performing. He was on, you know, dozens of television, you know, um, variety shows in the 1960s, starting in the late 1950s through the 60s and into the early 70s had a very, very extensive performing career of the Peter Gennaro dancers, which he usually appeared. And then he was often the choreographer on the show. So on Judy Garland's show, he choreographed all the numbers, Ed Sullivan, Perry Como. So this very, very extensive television career, which he loved because he loved the speed of television. Yeah. Not love the, the... the trials and tribulations of a Broadway show, which goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and lots of drama. He liked to get it done and be done with it. That was just his personality. So he really enjoyed all the television work that he did. That's, that's incredible. He just seemed so, so prolific and so um, influential for someone who is so Mm -hmm. obscure in the world of like, musical theater choreographers that people might know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he kept a low profile. He was not a particularly social person. You know, he liked to be with his family and that was about it. You know, he, he didn't do the parties and the whining and dining and the net, no, they didn't say networking then, but now we would say networking. He sort of didn't do that. What came to him came to him. He, above all, loved to dance. That was his, the key to his life. And he did it his entire life. And when he couldn't do it anymore, he basically died. Um, He just had enormous passion for dancing. 
So, you know, it was a, it was a great life and there's a lot of influence there, but you're right. He's not um, noted in the way that some others are. This is such a silly question. Where did he keep his Tony Award? <laughs> they lived on 72nd Street in an apartment um, on 72nd Central Park West, and they had like a little television room sort of, and he was on a shelf. My brother has it now. Um, my, my mother had kept it after Peter passed away, and then my mother got dementia, and we had to put her in um, a facility, you know, a, elder care or whatever. Um, and it kind of got beat up. We moved her a couple of times and it kind of got beat up. So Michael, my brother, ended up taking it when my mother passed away and he got it all cleaned up and put back to head broken. <laughs> it was not treated very well for a few years there, but now it's all back together and on my brother's shelf. <laughs> uh, you, you do hear stories about people who it's like, oh, uh, you know, it sits on a shelf with like, my kid's soccer trophy. <laughs> uh, dust. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's all the questions that I have. Okay. Well, it was lovely to meet you. It was so lovely to meet you and to talk. Thank you so much for having me on, and I hope you'll get my book. I, I will. My next season, I'm hoping to write about Broadway and the New York City Ballet. I've just noticed enough connections there that... I'm, I think it'll be fascinating. Yeah, look at, um, look at um, George Balanchine's. Yeah. At New York Public Library for the Performing Arts, if you're ever in the States, um, they have the, the Balanchine popular dossier, which are mm -hmm. a spectacular collection of um, all of his Broadway shows. That's amazing. That's so, so cool. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to make it to the States anytime soon because it's currently not possible to leave Australia. Um, but, but eventually we'll get out of this. Eventually. When we, yeah, when we I'll come on a, on, on a holiday and I'll leave my husband to go just like talk to people. He's an extrovert. That'll be fun. And I'll spend my days locked in the New York Public right. Library. That's right. Well, if you're ever in the city, please look me up. I'll just show up. I'll be like, hi, remember me? And you'll be like, gosh, I wish I didn't. <laughs> No, no. It's been great talking to you. And thank you for your interest in my father. Thank you so much um, for agreeing to talk to me. This has been really, really good. You're welcome. Be well. Stay healthy. Yeah.